Well, Gwen, last week's episode got a lot of people listening to it. Turns out people were super interested in Mass Effect animation. It was actually kind of weird because this podcast is sort of like my hobby, our hobby. Yeah. And I never really anticipated more than, you know, 80 listeners. And we had like thousands of listeners last week. It was posted around a lot of places. Like it was on Reddit and NeoGAF and like a bunch of places, like a bunch of forums. There were posts of like, and it was like, I kept seeing the people posting it and being like, do one of us know this person? Like, like, no, I was like, no, part of it. I actually feel kind of, um, how do I put, I don't want to say I feel bad, but I, I feel like I, I should have represented things better. I I feel like I, I might've, um, I hope I wasn't super negative in the last podcast. If I knew it was going to be bigger, I probably would have thought things through a little more before I just said them. Like, after that last podcast, some of the my level designer buddies reached out to me and were like, hey, you kind of just blamed level design. And that wasn't my goal when I was talking about Mass Effect Andromeda last week. Mm. I was surprised that so many people were calling out animators because I felt like um, when there's an animation bug, it's not necessarily an animator. Uh, and I was just trying hmm. to explain like the, the tech and the the implementation that goes into a game I, I didn't mean to like throw anyone under the bus it was just like this is maybe uh not how you the games are maybe not made the way you think they're made yeah. that was sort of the goal i don't think you um, threw anyone under the bus i mean if there's a problem it's it's something's fault like it doesn't just appear and you're explaining how these things could potentially happen well i don't <clears throat> that's actually what i i i don't want people to think like I, i'm not saying <sighs> Okay, I, the, I am a game developer. Yes. So I look at I look at things like I look at this game and I can see the bugs and I can guess what the bugs are. And but I can also look at the team and what the the devs were put through mm-hmm. and guess uh, what happened there. And I don't and I, I really dislike this um, this need that there seems to be from the media and from from gamers in general to place fault somewhere or to to have a scapegoat for something like mass effect andromeda which by Mm. the way is a hell of a fucking achievement like this is a huge game a a mass effect game it's a universe this is a, a franchise that's beloved it's a universe that's huge the sheer quantity of content that is required for this game i mean this isn't like like i worked on bioshock infinite that was a game with a very linear narrative where we had a set number of lines. The entire game you could you could beat in like a weekend, um, and there was no branching narrative. We didn't have to come up with all this theoretical content that most players will never see. Every player saw every single piece of narrative in in Bioshock Infinite. Mm. Um, whereas there's just way more content in in uh, all the Bioware games, but uh, in Mass Effect Andromeda in the Mass Effect universe, there's just way more content. And this is a game that, I mean, this is a game that to. To say that there's one person or one team even, like the animation team, or even one studio that's to blame is ridiculous. I, this is a game that was made by multiple studios in different cities around the country. I mean, like, I I actually, I would love to just dig into that. Uh, Please do. If you, you want me to soapbox here? I do. Um, I'm interested. I have follow-up okay. questions and everything, Gwen. All right. All right. Here we go. Um, this is a, this is a, we've already been over this. This is a franchise that's like super loved, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, I don't know which 
studio was spearheading it before, but I don't think it was EA Montreal. I think it was either uh, being made down in Austin or it was made in Edmonton. Do you understand that um, for a game like Mass Effect or a, a game like Assassin's Creed or or some of these bigger games, they're made across multiple studios. Usually one studio uh, is kind of the, the one that spearheads it. Mm. One studio will be the one that uh, does a lot of the pre-pro and lays a lot of the groundwork. Um, and then they'll send bits out to other studios. So, for instance, uh, on on Bioshock Infinite, which was a comparatively much smaller game, mm-hmm. we sent chunks of the game out to 2K Australia. Yes. The, the hacking tool, for instance, the entire system and everything behind it was done in Australia. Uh, we sent an entire level to 2K Australia. We gray boxed it. We set it up. We um, told them what we wanted and, and we critiqued their work. But they did the work there. Um, but we were... Irrational was the studio, like the head honcho by far for for that game, and you'll see this in um, uh, in other two K games as well, uh, like the Rockstar games um, in GTA. Uh, up until very recently, I think GTA Five. They're trying to move away from this, but they're GTA uh, was always spearheaded by one studio or the other. Yes. Um, Red Dead Redemption was spearheaded by San Diego. I know that for a fact. Um, the initial Red Dead Redemption. Um, so. There's always a studio that spearheads it, right? Yeah. Uh, Montreal was not the leader. They were always the one that was the the shop that that was following everybody else. Montreal was the shop that was... Um, for, they were working on Mass Effect, uh, on the Mass Effect franchise. But they were like... They were the people that picked up the chunks of work that the main studio couldn't get to. Mm-hmm. So they... This was their chance, right? Like they could... Uh, the giving for whatever reason um the studio because i don't work i don't work for ea i don't know but for whatever reason um this, whichever studio was spearheading mass effect isn't spearheading it anymore i know edmonton's head like heads down in dragon age um and that's where uh i think edmonton is one of their biggest uh bioware studios mm-hmm. um but so this is Montreal's first time to shine. It's their chance to be the leader. They got to do the pre-pro and they got to be the ones to make the game, which is really exciting. Um, it is a huge responsibility. But at the same time, they're like, they're being told by EA, okay, you spearhead the game this time. All the other studios are busy. And also throw away all the content from the pre- previous Mass Bags. Start from scratch with a new engine. Yeah, because they were on all the old Mass Effects. I think were made on Un- actually. Actually, I can see. I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, they were on Unreal uh, Free, and now yep. they're on Frostbite Free. Yeah, <coughs> which so, Dragon Age Inquisition was on Frostbite Free as well. But as you say, it's a different team. It was a different team. That Dragon Age is Edmonton, um, and I'm not saying like they don't talk, but I mean you you help out the other teams, um, and every. Um, this is difficult to say because I've never worked for EA. I know with Activision, those studios don't really help each other out very much. Mm. Rockstar works together very closely. Yeah, um, they 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 share tech very very easily. I don't know for sure how much Edmonton and Montreal were sharing tech. I I suspect they probably were, but you gotta keep in mind these games were made not at the same time. There's a good what year and a half, two years between Inquisition and. Uh, and um dragon aid or sorry uh inquisition and um mass effect andromeda so they're they weren't made at exactly the same time 
but the programmers and the people at Edmonton, they they went, they made a uh, Dragon Age. Uh, they probably needed to recover from that. You get like a couple months off mm. uh, after you've been crunching, making a game that massive with a new engine. Um, so they, I don't know how, how helpful they were. I'm sure they stepped in and they, they tried to help things out, especially towards the end of production uh, for, for Mass Effect Andromeda. But the reality is you want to stand your engine up as fast as possible. So if you're making a game like this, because the, and by uh, stand your engine up, you mean you want to get to a place where content people can start making content as fast as gotcha. possible. Because what happens is if you spin your wheels on tech for years, that's years you're losing where people aren't making the game. Like mm. a a character modeler can create a model and um, put it in Marmoset or something and make a beautiful screenshot. But the second that character artist takes that model and they put it in the engine and they see it with the actual shaders that are going to render it and they see it lit uh, with the, whatever tech the engine is using, it looks totally different. Yeah. It 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 could look it could look like wax. It could look like it could just look like shit in the engine because uh, an engine code like your your rendering tech is going to render things differently than whatever it is you're authoring your your models in. And this is true for I, I can tell you this is true for every facet of, of uh, art. And then there's the reality that uh, like your level designers, your design team, they can't start prototyping gameplay uh, if you don't have an engine. Mm. You know, you can't, you can kind of write a script, but you can't uh, actually play the game. So you'll never really get a feel for it until you have um, your, your engine, you have no ability to really start the game. So yeah. to say that, to to say that uh, yeah Edmonton will just come in and and stand their engine up or help them out with the engine. By the time Edmonton got there, that engine had better already have been stood up. Like they're by the time Edmonton got there, they're they were a year and a half from ship, which means they were going to be insert within like, I mean you are insert a good four to five months before ship for a title that big. Uh, so like content lock is, is they basically by the time Edmonton can't, could come in, they could help out for a year or less probably. Uh, mm. and you're not going to, Edmonton's not going to come in, stand up the engine, and then they're going to make the game within a year. Like that's ridiculous. So, um, I, I suspect strongly that basically the engineers in EA Montreal, had to stand up the frostbite and get things the ball rolling in frostbite um it at the same time that Edmonton was getting uh frostbite up and going for Dragon Age and I suspect they I hope they talked and like worked together and stuff I suspect they did um hmm. I've I have no idea really cuz <laughs> you politics is weird man like sometimes studio just because your studio is owned by the same publisher as another studio doesn't mean you ever speak to them mm. or have any channel of communication at all well like, i know that it, from a press and pr side that that's the case with a bunch of companies where it's like i mean nintendo is always a classic example where i think i might have mentioned this before where you can get something cleared by nintendo of europe but then you have to get it cleared by nintendo of america and then in turn nintendo in japan and all of them will not necessarily agree on the same things and all of them will not 
like you'll get the okay we can do it from nintendo seemingly you're like yeah good but then you'll get a note from nintendo japan saying oh but you can't do this and you can't do this mm-hmm. and it's like which is and even people from nintendo europe are telling you like oh we don't get that it's like okay but aren't we all the same company it's like no they're all separate entities with their own opinions yeah and it's that's a it's a whole other podcast that's <laughs> like true dealing, yeah, yeah dealing with that um because that's Dealing with the publisher side of things is is brutal in its own way. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, to, to Mass Effect. <clears throat> yeah, so let me, let's get back. Let me get back into the mind of Mass Effect. This so, is all. This is all conjecture, by the way, on on your part. You're not giving definitives or saying that this is what happened. Oh, uh, you're you're covering my ass. I appreciate yes. that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate. You've Thank already you for covering been, my ass. You've been quoted in uh, media outlets. Like yeah, you I, specifically. <laughs> I gotta get used to that. Maybe I should shut the hell up. No, but, no, you uh, shouldn't. You you just have to make sure that everything's worded correctly in a yeah. way that you you know, it uh, just from just from doing the media side of things. There's you know, you're aware that people can take quotes and just be like, Gwen Frey of the molasses flood knows for a fact, <laughs> and it's like no, <laughs> it's true. Well, I would just saying that's bullshit one of the beautiful things about being indie is that i can speak right now oh totally uh, yeah that's which the... is kind of like fun yeah i mean uh, that's one of the things that is fun about the podcast in general can just... the only yeah like this is great the only thing that can happen is like i can say the wrong thing and then my friends get mad at me and yeah. I'm like what's wrong with you and then i gotta like deal with my my roommate um getting mad about uh <laughs> so this is this is real uh, after the last, uh, <laughs> after the last podcast, my uh, my an old friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, Chris Lum, mm-hmm. uh, reached out to me. He was he's been a level designer forever. He was level designer on um, the latest Godfather game. So he was like, Gwen, you're uh, kind of just leading to the level design with some of this press lately. And I went through and I read it. And I was like, Oh shit, I kind of did. I didn't mean to, because the the reality is he's right. Uh, I. When I was I was trying to articulate how a lot of animation bugs are not animation and mm. a lot of it is implementation and a lot of these um, these narrative scenes are never seen by animators they're implemented by a level designer or a narrative scripter or something of that nature yeah but like level design is uh, incredibly hard and uh, basically at a studio if you're at a studio that's kind of narrative focused you're treated like the help. Like, it's the most thankless, difficult, irritating job. You touch everything. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're, a, when you're a level designer and you're implementing these scenes, first off, you got your writers who are just... Uh, your your writers have written a bunch of uh, little narrative moments. They're like, oh, the bartender will say this to this person. And and so you go through and you, you grab whatever um, characters and animations you can find um in your engine and, and you slap them in there and you put the vo on them and then the first thing that happens is uh your uh the programmers come through and they're like okay how are you going to stream this in and out and so now you have to script everything to stream in and out so that because you can't keep all this dialogue and these characters and these animations in the same uh like loaded in memory at the same time so now you're dealing with all this tech overhead and, and headache and this as you're doing this your your artists are coming over and they're like hey I played through and I saw this. Uh, I don't like having this person sit here. It breaks. It's blocking this beautiful lamp that I modeled. I want people to see the lamp move the person. So now mm. you're moving the scene around, which is effing up your streaming. And so now you're, you're like 
messing with your streaming volumes again and you're going to get fixed again. And then, like, something else will happen. Like, you'll... Yeah, like somebody, the, oh God, like design, your design director will come in and be like, we've decided there needs to be combat in this space. It needs to be a technical space. We need to put, you know, half level height cover here. You're like, how am I going to put half level, like, how am I going to put in the middle of this bar uh, something that it that comes that up you to have your cover. waist? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, jeez. So it's now like Gears of War where you walk around a corner and there's just a ton of half-level things just because that's the game. Yeah. Like, if, if especially you're making a... If you're making a narrative space in Mass Effect, you kind of... Uh, you're, like, say you're in the, the Citadel in the original games mm. or something like that. You don't anticipate there being combat in most of these rooms, so you kind of... Uh, you make them look as pleasant as possible, and then hmm. somebody's like, hey, you know what would be cool? Fight breaks out right here. And I'm like, <laughs> Fuck. So now you've got to make it a tactical space on top of a narrative space, and you you got to script things up so that when when a fight breaks out, the the AI know what to do, and you got to do things like uh in the process of moving all this shit around, you've got to uh you could accidentally move one scene too close to another scene, and now VO is stomping on each other, and that's the mm. worst bug when you get like. When you're hearing two conversations oh at the God. same time, it's actually really jarring. I think Glenn, you brought that up. I did, because that yeah. I, I have a bunch of little questions, and that is 100% one of them. So I'm glad that count cuts. Oh, that does happen in Mass Effect. Uh, not a lot, but one of my... It's one of my... Like, one of my two pet peeves that has been in video games seemingly forever since the, the ability to do have a room where you walked in and there were NPCs talking walking in and seemingly all their incidental dialogue is triggered at once and there's like just free conversations well i think this is good but i tell you one and it's like (laughs) you're all talking at once and this is impossible like i know i guess this is realistic but it feels like you're all directed at me and i can't can't, look stop (laughs) i I know it's and you you just hit the nail on the head you feel if you're in the real world people are having conversations at the same time yeah but when when you're in a game world uh a a carefully crafted experience such as Uh this you have you know your your audio guys kind of like mixed down some ambient yeah that's that's what you get Uh, yeah yeah and then you have the the sharp conversations of which you only want to have one at a time and yeah and that's got to be sometimes there's tech to help but uh, in my experience, I'll tell you, we for Bioshock Infinite, we scripted up. Uh, like, there's if you get within a certain radius of a conversation, that conversation starts. Um, and if you get out of the radius, it blends out, and it blends out um, much faster if you enter the radius of another conversation. And yeah. a lot of this was hand scripted, and these radiuses were tuned carefully by, yeah. the, by the level designers. And it was not, uh, it's not a not a trivial thing. Like, no, not at all. Level it's design super annoying. It's like I, I'm, I get that in the real world people are all having conversations at once. But one, I'm not listening to them, and two, the entire world does not revolve around my experience of it. So that's mm-hmm. fine. Whereas, in, like you say, in this instance, it's like this all exists for me. So please don't talk at once. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, and the worst is you you go through and you hear all the dialogue at once. You're like oh, I didn't catch any of that, and yeah. then then it doesn't play again. Nope. I'm like fuck. Back to Mass Effect. Did, was there anything else you wanted to soapbox about before we got oh, into I don't know. Specific? I just have a lot of so many thoughts about it in general. Like, I I think I am sad that uh, people are dogpiling so much on Mass Effect Andromeda. I think it is a 
it's still a beautiful game. It's an incredible achievement. I think this is the the this is basically the first um game in a series as far as I'm concerned. Like this is in a way like Mass Effect B1, right? Yeah. This is a new 100%. Is, and it's supposed to be a complete reboot. But I mean, this is a new this is a team working with a new engine um that was given an IP that they they have not been the lead studio on yet. Um, so this is basically a new team, new engine working with an existing IP that's beloved. So they're, mm. they're already fighting an uphill battle here. Uh, just training up their people on this new tech and, um, getting this game together in this, this beautiful universe that I love. I love Mass Effect games quite a bit. You do. Um, so I wish we wouldn't dogpile on them. I think they're, uh, I, the re- there's also just so all right i love the mass effect franchise mm-hmm. and i i can't play it yet and i'm really excited about playing it very soon and i want them to um to come out to do some bug fixes and maybe maybe release some dlc by the time summertime rolls around and i have more time to game uh and that's not going to happen if you know we keep uh dogpiling on them like this and blaming them eventually it, it the devs hear these things that are said on reddit and mm. neogaf like we we read we're people like we read the press um and it when when you work so hard on a game um with a new team well i mean maybe not a new team but they probably had a staff up for this and you you train yourself in a new engine and you work really really hard to make this massive game and then you launch it um, and it it doesn't do well, and that's heartbreaking, mm. and it's hard, and it's really hard to keep going, and it's really hard, um, especially if you're in an amazing city like Montreal with a lot of other studios, to to stay on a ship like that, um, and and f- fix a product that um, that people are are actively hating in the media Mm. um you know they could the reality is the team at montreal could buckle down and fix a lot of these bugs and and make this game incredible um and even if they did that their metacritic score is never going to recover they're not going to get reviewed again it's thankless at this Mm. point and it's hard to keep your team together um as, as somebody who's been in these studios it's hard to keep a team together and keep them focused and encouraged on uh, a game after ship regardless even if you do well it's hard to keep everyone together and focused um and so i'm i'm concerned that by by everybody in the community lashing out like this we've actually kind of created a foregone conclusion where if you if you say oh this is terrible and it'll never get fixed then you've made it such that it is terrible and it will never get fixed. What is that? I'll go. I think oh no, I'm sorry. I I'll soapbox forever. I like I I, I think in a way like you when as a consumer, if you go online and you read uh this game is amazing, uh it kind of sets you up. It makes you think, oh maybe this game is amazing. If you go online and you read this game's terrible, look at this bug, look at this bug, look at this bug. Now you go into the game ex- looking for the bugs, expecting the bugs. Yes. You go in expecting to have a bad experience, and you've kind of created a situation where you will have a bad experience because you've 
Yeah, like because you've set, you've primed yourself for that. I think this game is far less buggy than a Fallout or a Skyrim, which. I mean, I've played a bunch, not a ton. I've probably played about eight or nine hours of Andromeda. And I've encountered some small bugs, but nothing terrible in my entire... Uh, and bugs that you would expect in absolutely any game. And I've played games that are, to my mind, not as good. Like, to my personal opinion and tastes, not as good. That have far are riddled with far more bugs, but have been let off in a way that this game has not i'm i was i remember even before any reviews or anything came out i remember one of the first pieces of info that came out of GameSpot was a video talking about how they were disappointed they were worried like disappointed and worried about what they'd seen and the entire basis for what they were disappointed and worried about was that it felt like the other mass effects and it was like that's an odd place to begin with because it was like what was what did you think that was gonna happen like what did you think this game was going to be it's called mass effect it's gotta have a level of feeling and seeming like a mass effect game it's gonna be slightly different but it's not gonna throw everything out and start again so that narrative had been laid for a while and i 100 percent agree that you everyone is looking at this with such a big magnifying glass because of about five gifts and that being the story like people have decided that's the story and the way the media works you have to have stories all the time you have to have content all the time so it's nice and easy to write another story about oh someone it went weird look at it and it's like yeah i get it but like i mean gamespot i think gave it six i mean gamespot are generally who i follow for reviews and stuff like that i think okay. they gave this six out of ten which i felt I mean, for me, I was like, that really feels... the what They gave it the appropriate score for the review they give, which is not always the case. Like, the amount of reviews I will watch uh, that will harp on about how bad something is, and then it ends on, like, 7 out of 10. It's like, what? You just said how crap it was for ages. <laughs> it's, it, but it, it synced up with what the guy was saying, and that was his opinion, but it was just like, this, just, this really doesn't feel like... For what I've played so far... It really doesn't feel like a six out of ten game at all. Like this is, uh, like I enjoyed Mass Effect two and three quite a bit, and they're not my favorite yeah. games of all time, but do, I enjoyed them quite a bit. Do you remember when three came out and everybody was talking about how a massive disappointment it was? Yeah, and the end of the fray, it was the worst thing ever. That was a fucking amazing Dude, game. That had and by the way, the DLC they stayed on it. Yep. They added DLC, they fixed their bugs, and it became an even better goddamn game. And they got no money and no credit for it and no no bump in their Metacritic score. They just did it for the love. Yeah, it's uh it's it's like yeah, Mass Effect 3, I mean, that has some of the most standout narrative moments. Like one of the ones if anyone's played Mass Effect 3, but the whole Genophage story that mm. in that, oh, that was so good. Like I still remember that. Like that was a great story. <laughs> like it's one of my favorites in the entire series. Was kind of played out in free, even though it had obviously been built up in one and two. But the the payoff in free was so good, and there was a lot of moments like that. But yeah, it's very odd, and it's very odd that that has been the narr the the media narrative for this game. But oh god, how like put yourself in the shoes of these devs, man. Like, this is hard. What they're going through right now, and it, it's hard. Uh, for me not to to feel that very acutely 
like anybody that's stripped a game knows what how just the struggle that goes into it the struggle that goes into shipping a game and putting yourself out there and and reading those first few reviews and and how excited and scared you are and then mm. and then at the end like even if things are going well you you're kind of like bummed out like oh god what do i do now i don't know what to you know like you don't know where to go from there yeah uh there's always a bit of churn at the end of any game where some people leave but it's so much more bitter when the game isn't doing well mm. you know like when a game launches and it doesn't do well and then people start leaving and then you're like, shoot, should I leave? Like, do I need a lifeboat? Uh, or like, here's the ugly thing that I don't think anybody's talked about really yet. But like when everybody online is screaming bloody murder and looking for a scapegoat and EA is a publicly traded company that is probably also at this point looking for a scapegoat, it's real easy to just... Say, all right, and have a massive layoff and just let let a studio go, which would be a fucking crime after mm. you've trained up a large group of people on this amazing... You, you've trained up a large group of people and they finally have wrapped their mind around a new engine. I mean, um, the game has sold well. And I think for a company, that's got to be the bottom line, right? Like, mm. there's, not, there's been mixed critical reception because I've seen some good reviews for it as well. And... There's a lot of people playing it on Twitch. There's a lot of people talking about it still that are positive. And even the, even with it selling well, I saw a story the other day that was like, it's number one in the charts, but it didn't sell as many as Mass Effect 2 and 3 when that was number one. <laughs> and it was like, how have you managed to make this negative? Like, I, I honestly, you have dug deep to manage <laughs> no, to make a story to feed I into the, the clickbait. That's to say the negative stories sell better. Like exactly, and, and I'm because actually, that's the story. I'm happy to hear that. I'm I'm happy to hear that they're doing well because, like, they launched into a window right now. They came out right after the Switch and yeah. Legend of Zelda, which, to be fair, maybe like their saving grace is that most people couldn't get their hands on the Switch yet. There's but that. also, and then there's like, oh god, what else? Like, this has actually been a pretty busy month, right? Yeah, um, there's been a bunch come out. Massive X one uh, of the week Horizon ones, Horizon Zero Dawn is like yes phenomenal I, it's very it just launched it is i would say though it's kind of it had its moment and it's kind of mass effect is the thing everyone's talking about now but yeah it's a very it's an odd narrative for a, a game that i don't think necessarily has garnered such a reception like like i was saying you play a goddamn fallout game and it's like this is broken as hell like but it still gets good reviews because people still enjoy it and there's a lot to love in there but that's never the story with that it's always just like oh it's a bit broken <laughs> but it's like but this is like like it wouldn't even work skyrim wouldn't even work on the ps3 <laughs> like they just didn't release it for ages because like, it doesn't even work but yeah i don't know but mass effect has been fun so far but i think the thing is there's different expectations from different people I don't have as lofty an expectation of a Mass Effect game as I feel most people that are angry about it do. Like, the way mm. people will talk about a Mass Effect game and the characters... Like, there's no character in a Mass Effect game that I've ever been like, wow, this character, I love them as a friend. Like, that's never... <laughs> and that's not to... Like, there are characters in other games that I've felt genuine emotion for, but I'm like, this character is so good. I love this character. But... That's never been my experience with Mass Effect. They are competent games oh. that I very much enjoy. And so my expectation for Mass Effect is a competent game that I will very much enjoy. 
that I will play through. There'll be cool moments, but if anyone ever asked what's one of the best games of all time, Mass Effect won't come up for me. Oh, God. For but me, it would. Mass yeah, Effect that's what 2. I mean. For some people, it does. Like, Mass Effect 2 was brilliant. I play, Like I said, I finished that game twice, which is unusual for me. There's, I mean, there's a small handful of games that I've actually replayed over and over again, and Mass Effect 2 was one of them. But... Yeah, it's. Mm. I think people's expectation for what Mass Effect was going to be, and like I said, link, linking it back to that initial preview from GameSpot, where it was like, I don't know, it seems a lot like Mass Effect, which is bad. People had built up this expectation of what a new Mass Effect on a new generation of consoles was going to be, and it was going to have to change the world when it came out. Like it was, and games that come out and are amazing and live up to because as much as people point to the witcher 3 the witcher 3 i don't think had the same level of expectation that a mass effect game would they did a really great job but i think the witcher 4 is gonna have that like it's gonna have that level of like i had the best experience ever playing this game this has to be perfect whereas yeah mass effect is it's on a throne it's sat there and I bet even if you sat down that guy who did the GameSpot preview and said to him, like, okay, so this isn't hitting whatever expectations you're having. What is the expectation you're having? Like, what is the what was you wanting to see from this game that isn't there? And I very much doubt you could actually sit and be like, oh, well, obviously you need an evolution of this or that. It's just a feeling that you get, that, that you've built this game up so much yourself. And I do this. Everyone does this with franchises you're like it's so good and that thing was such a perfect experience for me that now this has to be better than that and it's like it's, it's not gonna happen and it's <laughs> like it's that's never gonna be a thing yeah. and if it is it's super rare like that happens God. so infinite infinitesimally small amount of times has that ever Dude, happened you feel you feel that pressure you I know, can imagine, you, right? Especially, I mean, you you worked uh, on, you had Bioshock. Like, you had the name Bioshock in a game. Bioshock yeah. was fucking good. <laughs> that first one. The, so, like, Ir Irrational Games made the first Bioshock. That was actually before my time. Um, yeah. And then uh, the second Bioshock, they uh, they basically <laughs> took a break and they let a different studio make that. Yes. Um, and that studio was under a lot of pressure. Uh, and they, obviously, they got panned in the press. Mm -hmm. um, for being not as good as Bioshock because, yeah. you know, similar situation, like new team, new uh, new team, probably, I don't know if they upgraded the engine or not. I don't really have a lot of details there, but they, um, I remember like, it being they went through the same, the same shit. And if yeah. you, if you look at infinite, we did not make a, we made a spiritual successor, but, uh, you were Booker to it. You were a totally different person. Yes. Uh, the world different was, world. I think it was just completely different. Mm. Um, and I don't know what ghost story games is doing right now. Uh, cause Ken, after that, uh, imagine being Ken Levine. You're, you just made Bioshock. And then after that you made Bioshock infinite. Uh, he's probably looking at that like, Oh, yikes. Uh, yeah. I got to do this again, but better. Jesus. And I, I mean, I don't have a ton of insight there, uh, but uh, like the studio closed, like we shipped yeah. Game of the Year and then closed the studio rather than make another one. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, it's not easy to make a sequel. It's not easy to top yourself continuously over and over repeatedly. And mm. the pressure to do so is intense. So the last episode, as we mentioned briefly at the beginning, got a lot more attention than our normal 
group of cool dudes, which is really nice to have new people listening and stuff. But it got a lot of attention based on the subject matter. And we got some comments, which is nice. Like people having opinions on things we've oh said. Oh my god. We're like a real podcast. We have reader mail. Yeah. Well, the thing with SoundCloud as well is they can they can add a comment at exactly the point that they're listening to. So like you can uh-huh. say a thing and then someone can click on it and be like, this thing, this is the thing I have an opinion on, which I okay. think is kind of cool. Um, so what have we got? One guy is uh, saying that it feels like there was no QA at all from PDSW who... Again, it's a nice long comment, but basically he's saying uh, that he feels like QA is supposed to catch whatever's gone wrong, and it simply looks like there was no QA for this game at all, and that the developers themselves hardly played their own game before shipping it out. So that's oh. that's his theory. Well, um, I think I would uh, suspect that that's not the case. I think um, it's really easy to throw QA under the bus uh because like they're generally junior younger and there's a ton of them um but they're i i guarantee you this game was qa'd like ea has people for that uh ea has the money to qa is one of those things that you can very easily outsource and ea is known for for outsourcing that i guarantee you they had the bugs um what what probably happened is they got all these bugs they hand there was probably bugs that were far worse than the ones we're seeing and those got fixed um there is probably a situation where fixing the bugs that we have in engine right now was risky. Uh, and to there's certain bugs, if they're high risk, you just don't fix them until after the game launches and then you patch them. And you do that mm. because if you introduce a serious problem to fix a minor problem this late in the game, you could fail cert. And if you fail cert, you have to ship, you have to change your, your launch date. You have to launch a little bit later. And that's not acceptable. Launching a little bit later after you've spent your your marketing spend is just something you can't do. Like if you've mm. if you've put down the money to be on the cover of Game Informer, uh, you're coming out that month. You're not you're not risking any. You're not doing anything that would risk uh, you slipping at all. So even if you have a bug that seems pretty egregious, if fixing it is a little bit scary um, and could could cause your Inst- worse instability in your game you just don't fix it you just realize you're gonna have to patch that later um because as much money as you spend making a game you spend twice as much money marketing it mm. and at the end of the day uh I-, I guess that's my point like you just you just can't uh fix some of these bugs well yeah i suppose like you because st- if that was something i think you wanted to talk about as well which was that launch dates are fixed because of the marketing spend and to boil things down to money as i like to do uh Mm. if you're spending more money on marketing than you are on the game itself like you say it's going to be a case of well we've marketed it as coming out on this date so it's it's surely i mean when games get put back and they've already got that marketing for a launch date that's got to be a big thing for a big company to do when they've spent so much money already with the messaging and everything getting that out there oh yeah Oh my god. For Bioshock Infinite, we had a commercial during the Super Bowl. Uh we they painted Jesus. the sides of a building in New York City and the side of a building in LA and a couple other places like I think Moscow mm. with um just like they had a that a side of a skyscraper. Wow. Like the the money that goes into marketing these games is is insane. Uh you don't 
have the privilege of fixing uh, your bugs like you used to anymore. And you also have the flexibility um, of launching a title that maybe has a couple bugs because you know you're going to patch it anyway. You can patch it, yeah. It's it's not like uh, a PS1 release where it's out and it's out forever. Exactly. It's not it's not put in a cartridge and then out in the world forever yeah. anymore. So unfortunately this is the world now. QA, I guarantee you QA saw these bugs beat their heads against the wall, trying to convince people that they're important. Um, and uh, producers were just like, that's important. But in the grand scheme of things, we just don't have the time to fix it or it's too dangerous to fix it. Um, and we will address it uh, after after a launch i wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened it's uh, it's i think that's a very important point and a very important point for the case of this game and for the case of a lot of games that when they come out with bugs and stuff because i never thought of the monetary realities of stuff like marketing affecting things like that because I, I mean, yeah, I, I just don't think that's a thing people think about. And I, I know Dude. I certainly hadn't. Like I said, And I think there, like you say, I think, because this is something we touched on last time and something that I think is very, very important to come out of the Mass Effect thing in the reception from people like yourself and from other developers and stuff is that I don't think people know what it takes to make games at the level games are now a big triple a title i don't think people understand because i think people have got it in their head that it's like like the guy says and oh i don't think these guys have even played their game and it's like i mean <laughs> yeah they will have like that's part of it's <laughs> part of uh. you, you play it a lot surely because it's making the game but i think even that's just my cursory understanding of how a game's put together there's a ton of stuff i don't know about how a game's put together because that's not the part anyone focuses on and i think uh, it, it doesn't help you you can go onto twitch and watch like jonathan blow actively making a game you're like but he made it in a basement with nothing but his computer and yeah he's streaming and it live on twitch and it's just that easy and it's like that's mm, true and perfectly valid that's true but it's it's a different it's a totally different world and i think it's a shame that i'm just thinking about this now i'm like it's a shame that these companies don't follow a similar path to people like i mean the biggest insight i think i've ever had is double fine which is not a team the size of the team that is going to have made something like destiny or something like mass effect like these teams are hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people all around the world doing this stuff and it's i a think concerted effort from multiple studios and yeah, yeah double right? fine is a <clears throat> double fine's a unique uh unique studio definitely in that they have they they put a lot of energy into um their their press and and they make sure that they have a documentary like a, a person who's who's creating a documentary at all times in the studio um they they have positions for that but keep in mind the reason they do that is they get their their source of income is um things like fig and kickstarter yeah and so these they need to be visible and out there for their fans so that their fans um, that love them and see them see their, their money getting spent. Um, whereas a studio like EA has a very different situation. They have, they have uh, shareholders who uh, you want to paint the most beautiful picture possible and you do not want to let the shareholders know how the sausage is made. The sh mm. shareholders do not know what steam is. Uh, 
these are the these are individuals that are probably not gamers necessarily or um or in the like publicly traded they're freaking everybody yeah I, I don't i don't know exactly who owns ea and who owns the largest stake i'm pretty sure we could google that but the uh this is a publicly traded company you're you're not gonna um you, the way you let information out is very different and um very controlled because you don't want to uh you don't want somebody to say the wrong thing on a documentary and then uh you're that's put live on youtube or something and now your stock price tanks like they're the ramifications for if something goes wrong is huge um at ea and there's there's some difficult conversations that happen behind closed doors that i bet even double fine doesn't show um like i don't see them talking about uh money things on those they have I, Do they? Yeah, I from mm. watching the Double Fine, not like super in depth, but there's definitely <clears throat> like a low ebb in the production of uh, Broken Age, which was the decision to cut the game in half and release it in two parts was a big part of that documentary. Where they are, there are two groups of two different groups of opinion within the company, which is like, no, we should not do that, and then another person who's the person in charge of their money seemingly being the person with a big board saying well there's this amount of money there's this amount of money we need this amount of money so we need to do this and this and this to get that and to do that and mm-hmm. so that that was interesting but yeah there, there will be stuff that's not you, discussed there, yes like the the creative director or the very very important person that threatens to quit unless you uh double their salary the uh the personality conflicts and the politics that can go down at a very large studio, especially when there's a concerted effort between multiple studios. There's yeah. uh there's there's some aggressive and angry conversations that happen behind closed doors. Um that um I mean, double fine everyone there is super cool, so maybe they never have difficult conversations. I don't maybe. Know. But uh They're like bound I, to though. It's a business with money and people's jobs, so Yeah, livelihoods are on the line here. Yeah. So um, I I don't think EA could just uh, put Open something uncurated out there. Well, uh, it's just that that was my immediate thought, and that completely makes sense. But it was just one that'd be fucking fascinating. I'd love to see that. But <coughs> two, I think it would help with a uh, with an understanding for people that it like would, you anything that humanizes these developers. I think would be would be kind of cool uh i agree i i it I, also i think it's just a working knowledge of how much it takes to make something this big like something that costs more than the biggest film that comes mm-hmm. out to make and takes more people and more time and yet still has to release a product that people are going to enjoy and want to use but is ticking so many boxes for so many people uh, the like you say for people that don't necessarily even know what steam is but they are an investor and they are someone that knows that this company has a good track history so they've put their money into it and they're an mm-hmm. important figure in that thing where they're like well i want to get my money back with preferably extra money because that's how investments work but like yeah just 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 seeing the entire creation process i think and this in and of itself which i think is why people were so interested 
in that last podcast was just uh, the amount of people that just were going through the Neogaf threads and stuff like that. The amount of people that genuinely didn't know a lot of the stuff that you were saying of like, oh, I didn't know that the like uh, you didn't know that a lot of the animation somehow's are done by like a scripting process rather than a an animator sitting there animating it all. That's kind of just what you assume. You're an animation, an animator did it. So no, it's a program that you type, put the thing in, and do. a lot of people didn't know that. And I think there is a lot of interest, and I think you could have a lot more of a informed group of people that might not necessarily just blow this is bullshit when it comes out. Why it should just work <laughs> that way? And definitely, there are things that come out that are bullshit, and you're like, well, that's bullshit. And it turns out it was just bullshit. But yeah, I don't know. I think I think more information definitely helps people. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I actually love that there's a lot of hobbyist game developers out now. I think it it's uh, cool. You kind of always, um, you appreciate something more when you try to do it on your own, I think. So, yeah, comments and people and all sorts of stuff came out of this, Gwen. It's been interesting. Yeah, it has been fun. Hmm. Um, thanks for writing in, guys. This is, uh, uh, you can reach Chris Slight on Twitter. He is at Chris Slight. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dire Goldfish. You can also find us on iTunes, where it'd be great if you left us a little review. You can follow us on Twitter at DialogueBoxCast. I think we're on Facebook, but I don't update that. Who's on Facebook? Follow us on Twitter. That's the place to be. But do leave us a review on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. Or give us a follow on SoundCloud or wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, and this has been Gwen Frey and Chris Slight. And you've been in the Dialogue Box.